One of the great things about Rolling for Change is the number of interesting games that come to my attention and the and the ways that inspiration strikes in terms of trying to build games around therapeutic modalities, trying to build games around growth, trying to build games that help people to confront themselves and uh, be at a table in, a, in an enjoyable, entertaining way and yet still learning something about themselves. One such game that I've come across that I think is really meaningful is Kids on Bikes. Now, uh, this one has been around for a little while now, but it, it seems to more be just coming in vogue now, like people are getting really excited about it. And and for good reason, too. It's a really elegant uh, storytelling system that allows the players to really get into character and use character as the driving force for the story that's being created between the characters at the table and the GM. So that that's pretty exciting. And uh, today... If you're, you're listening to this today, you're lucky enough that you are going to get to hear a, a very interesting interview but with us, myself and Brian Peace, and Doug Lewandowski, one of the creators of Kids on Bikes. Um, he uh, came and stopped by, talked to us about Kids on Bikes and other things that he's working on, and we got briefly into the sort of therapeutic modalities that might exist in Kids on Bikes, but we didn't go really deep into that. We really just kind of scratch the surface maybe you guys can go out there and identify what it is that makes this game work so well and what it is that makes this game meaningful to you because that's kind of what we do we we look at games and we find out where is it meaningful to me how is it helping me grow how is it teaching me something that's the direction we want to go in so uh this is kids on bikes with doug Lewandowski, and uh i hope you enjoy it Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational nature of board gaming, role-playing games, LARPs, electronic games, DVD, what, I don't know, I'm trying to think of everything, but I can't think of it all, just games, Laser the discs. transformational nature of gaming. Uh, my name is Woody Harris, I'll be your host, with me today is Brian Peace. Hey, how y'all doing? He's in a closet somewhere in in South Georgia. Uh and uh, also, special guest today, Doug Lewandowski, who has created Kids on Bikes, Teens in Space, and probably a whole plethora of other things prior to Kids on Bikes that I just haven't discovered yet because I'm still so stuck on Kids on Bikes. Who's in a basement somewhere in New Jersey. So good to have you on, Doug. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Woody. I appreciate it. Very excited to talk to you today about Kids on Bikes. Uh, when, i, I got to be honest, when I first saw this thing come around, it was on... It was on uh, Kickstarter at the time, mm -hmm. and I apologize. My thought was, man, that guy's just cashing in on Stranger Things. And boy, howdy, did we. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually kind of just kind of discounted it, which I, I probably shouldn't have, but I, at the time I was just feeling like, eh, this is not what I'm looking for right now. This, is, this sounds fake, mm -hmm. um, and I, I should have looked at it because I, I've been really excited about it. But can you maybe talk a little bit about the inspiration? How do we get to kids on bikes here? Yeah, absolutely. So like everybody else that summer, I watched uh, 
Stranger Things and like four episodes in posted on Facebook like, all right, who wants to make this board game with me? And <laughs> John Gilmore wrote back and said, I'm already working on it. So I wrote to him and said, can I work on it with you? And he said no, um, because somebody else was already working on it with him. Uh, and it was actually the other person started the design and then brought John in. So that was settled. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, maybe a role playing game. He was like, yeah, definitely. Let's do that. Um, so we started designing with the intent of, uh, trying to pitch it and as stranger things, the role-playing game. Um, and then that didn't pan out, uh, which I actually think is for the best because it allowed us to open up the genre in the way that we did in there mm -hmm. to be the kids on bike genre, which that I was totally against that name at first. Um, but I was super duper wrong. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so it opened it up so it can be a lot of different things now, uh, which I'm, I'm really, really happy about. So John and I worked on that for over a year. Um, so we, we started it that summer and then the following summer kind of finalized things and wrapped stuff up and then had the Kickstarter, um, that, came out right around Stranger Things Season 2. So I have to pedal backward here just a little bit, just so I get a clear idea of what you just said. There is a board game that is either being made or has been made that's a, that's kind of kids on bikes, but it's done as a board game as opposed to a role-playing game. There was something in the works, and I'm not sure where it is in uh, in the the development limbo okay versus right. the yeah i think i think i can say all of that i hope i can <laughs> so we, we've got to talk to to gilmore then and find out what is going on with this because yes, that's exciting also um and i know it's it's not yours to talk about so i i just right. wanted to backpedal just a minute just to make sure i caught that mm-hmm um, so those who don't know about Kids on Bikes, this is a role-playing game about just that, Kids on Bikes. It's typically set in a, a uh, past time, sometime before cell phones were in vogue, sometime maybe even before cell phones existed for the most part. Yep. And uh, it's, it's set in small-town America. Typically America, right? There's no, like, have you, has anybody put a module together that's like, this is Russia or this is Germany or something like that? No. Although there is a podcast playthrough of people in the UK playing it. Yeah, so. there's, there's Brits on bikes. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, now that's one I haven't checked oh, yeah, out it's, yet. It's a good, it's a good podcast. It's I very, like very it. good. Yeah, very good. Okay. All right. Um, uh, and, and then the other piece is that there's always something like it, it starts out in kind of this normal way. Like here's the normal everyday life of these kids who run around on their bikes and, and have adventures in their town. And then there's the other piece, which is like something supernatural happens. Right. Which sort of sets the story in motion, creates our, our plot, and, and typically it creates our adversaries and, and makes the story move. Um, so that, that's been... <clears throat> That's been really exciting, just that whole idea, because I, I, I of course, I, I grew up in the 80s, um, 70s and 80s, and uh, 
Brian, that's true for you too. You grew up seventies, eighties. Yep. Um, so we're you know Saturday morning cartoon kids for the most part. Sure. Um, and I, I imagine that's true for you too. Yeah, I grew up in the eighties and a little bit in the nineties. I was born in eighty one. Oh, okay, okay. Though my hairline would beg to differ, but I was born in eighty one. <laughs> we're so old, Woody. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm feeling really ancient right now. I was born in sixty seven, the year of Sergeant Pepper. Okay. And uh, I was 71, a little later than Sergeant Pepper, so I'm younger than Woody. Yay, I'm second youngest person on the podcast right now. <laughs> Yay. Um, so the things about kids on bikes, so my experience of kids on bikes, just real quick, I've had about five experiences with it. Uh, my first one, believe it or not, was was uh, playing with you at Save Against Fear. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic because I, I, I knew I wanted to check it out, and uh, then Jack said you were going to be there. I'm like, okay, I've got to find a way to get involved in this. And so I was so excited to be able to play. And when I played, what I noticed was the character development is is really at the heart of the story. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that we thought about while we were working on this was the the thing about all these movies is that, or all these TV shows, all these kids on bikes tropes, right, are all about the way the characters interact. It's not so much that the Goonies are in a cave. It's that they're the Goonies, right? It's not that, right. I mean, sure, there's like the Demogorgon, but it's not about that in Stranger Things. It's about Elle and the interactions between the characters, which is something that I thought season three did just so, so, so well. Oh, yeah. Um, it, right, like it it almost took the focus off of what else was happening. And it was just about the characters. I mean, you had the, the, the mind player and stuff in there without going too far into spoilers, but yeah. Um, and all of these shows make it about the way that these people interact. And that's how I think it sells the totally unbelievable, unreal stuff that's going on, that these characters are just so so real and so believable and so we wanted to make sure that in creating the game we were ensuring that people were creating these characters who felt inhabitable um that would be the sort of realistic anchor for people when all of the strange stuff started happening yeah, so it's it's very I I like that idea, and I, I didn't even really think about that in terms of uh, Stranger Things, or maybe even thinking of some of Steven Steven Spielberg's stuff. But uh, basically, if what I'm hearing you say correctly, it, it's it's the thing that's happening, the the supernatural thing or the event that's happening, is really just a background onto which these these childrens and uh, and other relationships are projected onto. Right. And so then the heart of it, the meaning of it, comes from the way that we interact with one another or the way that the characters interact with one another. Yeah, and I think in the best ones, the the drama, the tension, the supernatural thing is a really just a representation of what's going on with the characters. Um, probably my favorite kids on bikes media is uh, Super 8. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Where, without giving anything away, if you're listening and you haven't seen that movie, finish the podcast because it's probably going to be wonderful. Um, but 
I know they're going to be great. We'll see how I do. But the Super 8 is just such a, such a perfect movie. Um, and without giving too much away, the, the supernatural stuff becomes this metaphor for the, the emotional stuff that's going on with the characters, um, just in such a perfect way at the end. So I, I've recently been aware of that as I'm, I'm rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now, which is one of my favorite. Uh, it's really just one of my favorite shows of all time. But I'm recognizing for the first time that, that really it is all this demonic stuff going on around Buffy and, and the Scooby gang is all about the fact that these are metaphors and, and different things that are going on in, in teen life. Right. And it's just being blown up to this supernatural proportion. So I, I like that idea that that's what we're coming at. My favorite horror writer is Shirley Jackson, who does that just so perfectly. Yeah. I don't know Shirley Jackson. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I will have to look for some. Yeah. Uh, her her novel, The Haunting of Hill House, is really, really great. Um, and also, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Um, her short stories are also wonderful, but I, I really like her novels. Okay, so I've seen the movie The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, I'm oh, so no. sorry. No. I'm so sorry. It, it, I mean, it's, uh, it, don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's just not The Haunting of Hill House necessarily. Is that the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones? Well, we just watched that one the other night, and I liked it Ooh. up to a point, and then I was like, oh, this really just fell down really badly. It sure did. Oh, man. Because yeah. it was believable and meaningful for a moment, and then it just got stupid. Right. <laughs> I will I will say that in the beginning, I thought it had some promise. They seemed to capture the characters fairly well in the beginning. And then I was like, "This okay, this is departing a good... Okay, what's happening here? Right. What, yeah. what? Did that thing just bite that guy's head off? <laughs> yeah. There was just too much unreality for me to stick with it and feel like there was anything real going on anymore. Right. Yeah, the... I just started watching the uh, Netflix adaptation of it, okay. which is not a retelling of her story, but a, a whole new thing, just sort of thematically similar. Um, I'm two episodes in and I'm loving it so far. I'm, I'm a year behind on that. but Yeah, I did uh, like what I saw of that and I still haven't finished it either. Myself. I watched the whole thing all the way through and holy crap, are you in for some surprises? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I have some yeah. ideas, but... Uh, there were several left toys at Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So, uh, Brian, I think you probably know more about role-playing games than I do, but this is the first role-playing game I've seen that develops relationship in quite the way that it does. I mean, we spend a lot of time on, on building character at first, and you do that with a lot of role-playing games, but this is a very deliberate concoction of storytelling that's going on within the moments that you're trying to, to establish relationships between each other. I have seen, um, there are other role-playing games that do something similar. In my opinion, this one does it way better. Um, I've played the Dresden Files role-playing game where they introduce the idea of the game master and the care and the players collaboratively doing their, uh, creating their own world, creating their characters, coming up with, um, connections between characters and how how they know each other but the guided questions in this the idea that you can choose the idea that you have a positive connection or a negative connection um or 
that you don't even know this person, but you have some peripheral knowledge of them. You know, that whole idea that you have these lists of potential questions you could be asking along with this. It was, it was, it was like part of one of my favorite things about the game. Yeah. Where does all that come from, Doug? Yeah, that was something that we knew. We knew we wanted to make, once we decided to open it up beyond trying to, you know, theme it to an IP, we knew we wanted it to open up to be whatever people wanted it to be. Um, And really the only way to do that is to give them those kind of questions. And then the character creation questions emerged pretty naturally out of that. Um, The concept of the character creation questions did, but we, we worked really hard on those. That was probably the one page of the book we revised the most. Um, We got a lot of, a lot, a lot of advice on that. We tested that probably four times as much as we tested any other part of the game. Okay. Um, and my friend Jay Treat, who's a really, really great uh, LARP and RPG, and um, now he's getting into mobile phone game design, um, was really, really helpful in terms of his feedback and his suggestions there um and just getting us to have those questions that are so loaded that when you hear them you go oh oh man oh do i have to answer that yeah and, right that and then the answer is no really right? do i have to figure this out right if, if a question doesn't work for you you don't but it we wanted it to be so good that you go oh i don't want to answer that okay oh my answer is this <laughs> you can pick a different one no 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 i want that to be my answer yeah this kid is my son who i don't know about um which we had in one game which was amazing um so yeah that sort of stuff where the it builds the hook into the game that you now as a gm have this hook for this character um was the result of a, a lot of really deliberate effort. Okay. And a lot of revision. Yeah, the last game that we did, um, the thing that had that same putting on the brakes moment of wait, what? Uh, we asked one of the one of the characters rolled up, um, what what could make you betray this character? And they were like, wait, hold on, okay, I, that's oh my god. And they <laughs> just kind of stumbled. We all kind of stumbled around, and then another question came up that made people go whoa oh my god this game is about kids on bikes this is freaking deep mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly it's about relationships yeah i i think one of my favorite ones was one that jay helped us come up with probably came up with on his own uh, mostly um was what are you keeping from this character for their own good yes that one that and one we kills like, me oh so. And you you know these questions that you guys have developed to create the characters. Number one, it, it sets the stage. <clears throat> the story is being told as we're creating our characters, which is amazing because I just want right. to kind of watch it organically unfold, and you see how each person's character starts to find their orbit and find their connection to everybody else, and how that collaborative story starts being told. But it's that very element that I think that is driven. So many people who are who are looking for role-playing games as a, a therapeutic outlet 
it's that question that's moved them into that. It's those questions that moved them into that because here we're we're opening this wide door towards relationship so that you don't even have to be talking about yourself. You are still bleeding through the character because whatever you're talking about is, is related to yourself in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing that you, you know that this is being used as a therapeutic uh, tool for a lot of people at this point. H- have you gotten a lot of feedback about that? Have you talked to anybody about it? I, I've talked to Jack Birkenstock a bit about it, but um, that surprised me and made me so, so, so happy um, <laughs> because therapy has been such, such, such an important part of my life um, and my development from the angry, depressed uh, high schooler that I was to the like incredibly happy balding middle-aged man that I am now. Um, yeah. So like to hear that this is helping people is, is wonderful. Um, one of the things that when I was moving in to do more game design, you know, from like the goofy party game, that's basically cards against humanity as like, you know, one of my early designs to like something meteor like this was that I want to work on games that, that really help people that push people to be better versions of themselves. Um, and so to hear that a game that I hadn't intended to be that was being used that way is like, so completely soul affirming that like, yeah, it was just great. And I've yet to see it be used in therapy, but I know people are doing it. I know that, there's a, there's a, a, a gentleman and a, a young lady here in Atlanta who run a, a practice that is a, a role-playing game-based practice, which makes me incredibly excited. But they are using kids on bikes with some of their, their groups, which I think is fantastic, and I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing them on and, and talking to them more about how this is working. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, the thing that immediately stood out to me, the thing that kind of made me kind of become obsessed with the game because you know, like I said, Woody and I had both heard of it before, but then I, I got the free RPG day, um, handout, mm-hmm. and read through it. And the more I read through it, the more I thought, I, wh- why do I not already have this? <laughs> and what got me the most was once once I got the main book was, um, the hard focus on character interactions, and the um, the section on um kind of consent mutual mm-hmm. consent of boundaries yes. and i thought any game that has that in it is something i've got to really look into mm. i mean we just had um sean k reynolds on who did that whole pamphlet with sean and Germain on consent in gaming mm-hmm. and then i was telling them you know i saw the same thing in a one pager in kids on bikes so it's just kind of exploding all over the place kind of like the light bulb yeah, you know, everybody mm-hmm. was working on the light bulb, and it's just sort of appeared all over the place that people were working on it, and people had been working on things like the radio, using using the same kind of um, concepts across the world independently without even knowing that they were working on the same ideas. Yeah, and this idea that this is finally something that's kind of exploding on the scene has been intriguing to me. And those were all ideas that we pulled in from other places. Um, so I don't want to 
I don't want to take any real credit for for that. Um, but yeah, it was stuff that uh, Banana Chan talked with me a lot about when we talked about uh, you know this as a game, um, and just making sure that the the thing you are doing at the table is fun for everyone. Um, I think is finally getting to be something that like everybody's not well not everybody as we saw with the response to the, the consent pamphlet but <laughs> um you know is it, finally something that most reasonable people are talking about now and, and thinking about and how can i make this game for everyone how can i make sure that everybody feels good here it's just so important because games are for everybody right right absolutely and, and some people are looking at all these consent things, you know, like you were saying, there's a negative side to it. They're looking at it almost as if it's like the uh, political correctification of, of role-playing games. But I think probably good GMs, good DMs have been doing this all along, and we just haven't had any guide or structure to it. It's just, are you a good GM or not a good GM? And right. if you're a good GM, you're going to take into effect everybody at the table and try to make sure they have a good time. Now, there's probably people out there who just really just want to watch the world burn kind of thing. So they come to the table and they're going to see how they can make their, their players squirm. But I don't want to play with those people. And I think it's right. good that we're operationalizing that that isn't necessary. I don't have to play with somebody who's going to mess with me during the game. Because I was talking to, to Brian about this prior to our our discussion here, which is, for me, role-playing is, is an edge. It's my growing edge because I know there's a little part of me that wants to be an actor and then there's a bigger part of me that really is just scared to death to be in the spotlight mm-hmm. and to be exposing my raw nerves even as you know a druid in the middle of whatever, uh, whatever sort of pathfinder land that I'm finding myself in. Right. No matter what character I am, I know that there's some part of me that's there and exposed and this raw sort of vision of myself that can easily be just snapped to by anybody around me. Right. So for someone to pay attention to that awareness, mm-hmm. as, as a player, it makes me really happy. It makes me feel like I'm validated in my, in my, my trepidation, my nervousness about playing the game. I don't know if people experience that, but I experience that a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think if you're going to give people, you know, like you said, with as deep as the questions go, the people are naturally going to bleed themselves into it. And if you're going to encourage people to do that, to engage more fully with it and connect more with their character, I, I think it's so important that you have this stop for, okay, I'm not comfortable with this. I am comfortable with that. We can go in this direction. I don't want to go in that direction. That um, again, just to make sure that it is a good experience for everyone at the table and to make sure that it's something because we wanted kids on bikes to be accessible for people as their first role-playing game. Um, and to make it so that the first thing you read about role-playing is, Hey, think about what everyone wants to do, not just what you want to do and what you're comfortable with. And using that as a grounding for somebody who, you know, like you said, good GMs are doing it already. But if this is my first time GMing, 
how do I know that I'm not going to upset somebody if I do something that scares them or do something that forges that connection between their emotional response and the villain or the character or the uh, the powered character or the threat that the town is facing. How do I know that I'm not going too far? Well, here are these safety measures. This is how yeah. you know. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, that's so, so. helpful. Um, I was just wondering, how much of a bleed is there of of Doug in Kids on Bikes? How much of this experience... Obviously, you didn't have the supernatural, or I don't know if you had the supernatural experience or not, but how much of that <laughs> is your childhood? Um, the picture of the kids playing D&D, um, the two kids with their backs to the quote-unquote camera are me and my brother playing Dungeons & Dragons. All um, right, okay. And the the GM is Gilmore. Um, the Halloween picture is... Uh, a picture of a Halloween costume that I wore when I was a kid. Um, so there's some, there's some little touches like that, but yeah, I, I grew up the, my closest neighbor was a half mile away, quarter mile away, something in that range. Okay. And grew up in kind of the, the boonies, like 15, like a 15 minute drive away from town. So not that far. Um, but rural enough that, we literally never got a trick-or-treater at my house growing up. Um, and so the bike as my way to get around was absolutely the case. So once I was old enough to get on my bike, you know, like, and go like third or fourth grade during the summer, if I wanted to see my friends who lived in town, I hopped on the bike, I rode into town. When I wanted to go to the pool, I hopped on my bike, rode to the pool and like rode home soaking wet. Um, usually sunburned. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the bikes thing was, was such, such a big part of it. And growing up pretty out there, um, my brother and I told each other a lot of stories. Um, and so that was, that was definitely part of it too. A lot of like on our own exploring of the, the park around our house, um, and, and the woods and everything. So, yeah, like not so much the small town part, but the but the bikes and the the freedom to go out and explore and get dirty and just make sure I was home by 530 for dinner. Yep. When the streetlight comes on. Yeah. If, we, we didn't <laughs> we have, didn't it, have so streetlights, probably. We, right. We just had to judge by the sun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, if if uh, Natasha comes by and says the sun's getting real low, you better bring the Hulk on home. Exactly right. <laughs> what yeah. about you, Brian? What was your what was your growing up like? Were you a kid on bikes? Oh God, we had. We're, I was in kind of the same situation. My parents had about four acres, and we were about halfway down it. Nobody came down our driveway. Mm-hmm. Whenever I went trick or treating, my parents would bundle me up in the car and drive me to. A neighborhood yep. several miles away, and I'd go trick-or-treating there. They had some friends who lived there, so after trick-or-treating, we'd just go hang out at their friend's house and then come back home. Um, I'd, I had a bike that I uh, that eventually upgraded to a, um, a dirt bike to get to my friend's houses because they were all through the woods. 
Um, unlike a lot of the kids and kids on bikes, I didn't even have a neighborhood. I, we just had, we were in the country, so we had just, you know, woods to go through to get to people's houses. We, we couldn't even see most of our neighbors' houses. So you were pretty rural as well then. Yep. And uh, our next door neighbor kept telling us horror stories. So we would go back home terrified in the dark. And we I felt like I was one of the kids on bikes waiting for something to jump out at my butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I that that's I had the similar experience, but I didn't live. I was a suburb kid, so I, I, I fit perfectly in into Rush's uh, Rush's song there. Um <laughs> But uh, biking riding was was a big part of my, my growing up. And deep in the neighborhood, there was a path. And it was a path through the woods. And it was, it was made for bikes to ride on. Um, I don't know who made it. Uh, but you go through some pretty spooky, deep woods before you get to uh, this place. We called it uh, Old Man Shepherd's House because it, it was a house on Shepherd Road. And uh, that house looked decayed and creepy. And um, I could tell lots of stories about my, my connections with that house, but all I can say is it, it generated a lot of supernatural sort of stories, even if they weren't real. But there was fear in all of us kids <clears throat> to go near that house. We were really afraid of what could happen. We didn't know mm-hmm. what could happen, but we were really afraid of it. So this plays into all of that. Um, I'm so glad that my mother doesn't listen to this podcast because I get the chance <laughs> to tell this wonderful story here, which is that I was in fourth grade. And I came home, and I had just gotten my first Schwinn bicycle. It was a, a custom-made three-speed, uh, cherry red, beautiful bike. And uh, my mother was on the phone with her best friend. And so I said, Mom, I'm going to go out for a ride. She didn't say a word. I went, and I went all the way. I went a mile down the street to Stone Mountain, which is right, uh, right. It's one of the suburbs in Atlanta. And um, there's a big granite mountain that's in the middle of everything. And so I rode my bike all the way around the mountain. Didn't know how that much that was, but it turns out it was 10 miles. Uh, And then I rode back home and I get back home and my mother's still on the phone. She had no idea I'd gone anywhere. And to this day, I can't convince her that I went anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So it'd be fine if she listened. She wouldn't believe you anyway. Well, that's true. That's true. It'd be fine. Um, but she might not enjoy me telling the story, especially not if it, ter- it, 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 you know, it points out her forgetfulness. But I, I, <laughs> I don't know how many hours I was gone, but I had to be gone three hours at least mm-hmm. to go 10 miles <laughs> on a little three-speed bike. Right. Uh, anyway, so I, I digressed a long ways from here. But <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the, so there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of different things going on around kids on bikes. What have you heard or seen that's been the most true to your vision of what it what it was going to look like? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I heard the Kids on Bikes podcast, and I really enjoy it. Now it's called Bike Bike Brigade, I think, but I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, I, probably that. Um, I mean, everything I've heard has been really, really good, um, both in terms of the production and and for my ego. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, Bike Brigade was probably my favorite of the bunch. I'm, and they've recorded their last episode uh, and are releasing it soon if they haven't already. Um, so I'm sorry to see that one go, but they're... Oh, I'm sorry to see that one go, too, because yeah. I only just finished the first story arc. 
Oh man. Oh boy. The second story arc is really good. Excellent. That's, that's where they really, really, really hit their stride. Um, and, and they generated that themselves, right? That's not uh-huh. that's not a module that I've just missed in one of your books. Right. That's all them. Um, yeah. We and we brought them on to do some uh, when they released their one of their early episodes talked about they're going to get bikes and they got mechanics for the game based on their bike. And that was right when John and I were starting to work on the mechanics for bikes for uh, Strange Adventures Volume 2, which just mm-hmm. came out. And uh, so we brought them on and collaborated on what that would officially look like. Um, so they were great to work with. Uh, yeah, just really, really wonderful. Uh, I got a chance to play with three of them. They came up to Thirsty Dice in Philly for the around 4th of July weekend, we did uh, an event there, coupling it with the season one, uh, sorry, episode one of season three of Stra- um, Stranger Things. I almost said Strange Adventures, but <laughs> <laughs> with Stranger Things. Uh, and that was just a, a great game. I got to GM for them and it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I was I was jealous that Woody got to meet you before and, I'm, and then I had to quiz you on the... Uh, on the um... The Facebook group, sure. Whether you were going to be at uh, Pax Unplugged, and I was very pleased to hear that you're going to be at Pax Unplugged. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm not going to be there on Saturday because that's my daughter's birthday party, but um, I'll be there Friday and Sunday for sure. Yeah, we'll be there Friday and Sunday too. Awesome. Yep. Yep. So yeah, another wait. question that I was told to ask you, uh, Jack wanted to talk, wanted you to talk about what the inspiration was for the powered characters and and what what the plan was there because the it's really pretty ingenious to allow other people to control these powered characters as opposed to these powered characters being a GM controlled mm-hmm. entity. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were talking about what to do with that, we said, you know, the, the powered character is just so central to this trope, right? Whether it's sloth from Goonies or L from stranger things or almost all of them or ET from ET. <laughs> Almost all of them have that, right? Um, and we said, so that it almost has to be a character, right? If we don't have it, people are going to be saying, where is it? How do I put it in? Um, and John said, but the problem is everybody's going to want to play the powered character. And there's going to be there's going to be a fight over it. I said, that's a good idea. Yeah, everybody should play the powered character. He's like, no, we... We don't want to, we're not making like X-Men the role-playing game. We're, I said, no, 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 no. Everybody plays the powered character. Oh. Uh, and so then we kind of went from there and tried to figure out how to make it work. And that's become uh, become kind of a core part of both that and then Teens in Space has a, a similar mechanic to that as well. Yeah, we were, um, I was on the, the Facebook group again today and someone was asking about, you know, what are some good mass media kind of things other than stranger things? And I, like you said, I just threw out the Goonies mm-hmm. and yeah. one person on the group said, who's the powered character in the Goonies? I said, sloth. He goes, but he's just strong. He doesn't have any powers. I said, well, you know, while the book does say that the powered character has psychic powers, um, it's my game. It's your game. You right. can make those powers whatever kind of powers you want. And 
it became kind of obvious to me. I rewatched the movie after reading this book and um, getting ready to run the game. And I thought, okay, everyone had the opportunity to run Sloth, but the kid who played Chunk was running him the most Mm -hmm. because everybody at the table saw that this guy had been playing Sloth as a running fat joke. Mm-hmm. And finally, once he got hold of the powered character, you started seeing him bringing out some humanity, some right. some capabilities in his character. And he started building a real bond with this powered character, and no one wanted to interrupt that. So they just let him keep running <laughs> sloth. Right. You just take it. You're good, Chunk. Go with it. Yeah. yeah. And um, people were talking, and I, and I said... And I, that's another thing I love about the community around this game is the because mm-hmm. the guy who came in, we had an actual back and forth discussion and he made up. He said, you have a good point. However, you know, mm-hmm. um, what do you say? He said he thought the powered characters have the ability to do things a regular human being couldn't do. I said, well, you know, while Sloth does have you know incredible strength, it's not like outside the human boundaries of strength, but gremlins is also a kids on bikes story people accept Mm -hmm. that across the board what kind of powers does gizmo have other than the power to screw things up if you mishandle him right (laughs) other than that he's just a a negatively powered character other than that he's just a little munchichi ripoff or the munchichis are a gremlins ripoff whatever but he's just a little stuffed animal a little squirrel pet thing that happens to have above average intelligence right he he's not really a powered character, but everybody can still control him to do funky things. Right. And, um, I think, um, you had seen my, my, my thing about scrappy do <laughs> right. scrappy do is just the powered character that everybody decided they wanted to create the game masters running him. He hates the concept, but he's running with it and he's giving it his all. And, the rest of the players are really <laughs> sick of this ridiculous, annoying, obnoxious character they've created. But the game master seems to be enjoying himself so much right. that no one wants to stop either anyone from running this character. And finally, one day, everyone says, you know, I don't really like Scrappy-Doo. Do you like Scrappy-Doo? And the game master's like, really? I thought you guys loved him. I hate that right. little guy. And I've then- <laughs> leaned so hard into that because you guys seem to like him so much. I will, I then- will kill him immediately. <laughs> You know what? Years later, whenever we're adult, whenever they're adults, you know they grow up. They they go, come back and they're like, you know, we haven't played a game in a while. Let's continue that old Scooby Doo game, but without Scrappy Doo. Yeah, without Scrappy Doo. And then they bring him back at the end just so they can slap him down. <laughs> <laughs> so they do the Scooby Doo movie, you know, where they all come back together and then find out Scrappy Doo spoiler is the bad guy. If you haven't seen that movie already yet, I'm not spoiling anything for you. Get over it and watch the movie. <laughs> I actually haven't. Seen I like that, that you're talking to somebody who's not even here. Yeah. yeah, and you haven't seen it, so you know. Now you have to go watch it because you have to see how Scrappy Doo comes in at the end. Okay. So there you go. See, I've given you incentive, not a spoiler. Uh-huh. That's right. There we go. <laughs> Just for the record, I hated that character so much. Made me stop watching Scooby Doo. <laughs> oh man, I no, I'm I'm the same. <laughs> and I could accept Scooby Dumb, but not Scrappy. Scooby Doo, <laughs> Scooby Dumb was fun, at yeah. least. Yeah. <laughs> so, Doug, you you moved on to Teens in Space, which is kind of a maybe it's a necessary projection of kids <laughs> on bikes into another atmosphere or something. Uh, it was completely uh, unnecessary, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was 
so the the media that I grew up with more than you know Goonies and all that sort of stuff was Star Wars. Um, yeah, I wrecked every tape of Star Wars that we copied off of you know ABC when it was on or whatever. Yes, um, and then just about wore through the official ones when those were re-released um, and then got the DVDs um, with the edits. Um, but And then got the DVDs when they came out without the edits and got rid of the old ones. Um, so, and some of my friends were huge, huge, huge Star Trek nerds. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was adjacent to that at least. Yeah. Um, and then... Guardians of the Galaxy uh, came out at like just the right time in my life when my wife and I absolutely needed it. Um, and it was like just so perfect for us at the time um, that when we were talking about if we wanted to do a follow-up to Kids on Bikes, we said, yeah, we want to do Teens in Space. And uh, Renegade and Hunter said like, yeah, I mean, you guys did kids on bikes so go ahead do teens in space (laughs) um and so it was very much our like yeah we just really want to do this um and it's part of my ongoing effort to make a game that my wife actually likes and wants to play um and and one day i'll get there so she doesn't want to play kids on bikes she just she doesn't want to she never played kids on bikes uh she has never played teens in space um yeah, that it's. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, it's definitely something we could talk to our therapist about. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Uh, she's not the. She's definitely not the game player in the family. Um, okay. So, she has actually said that uh, we also have a two year old, so it's it's almost impossible at this point. Um, the kickstarter for kids on bikes was uh i'm trying to remember exactly when it ended but it very well might have been live while my daughter was being born um and so the you know just any time for us to sit down and play games together in any sort of sustained way is really just pretty much gone now yeah. Um, could, by the time seven thirty rolls around and Penny goes to bed, it's just like, okay, we survived. Put on Netflix and <laughs> fall asleep on the couch. Um, but yeah, I mean, she has said that teens on teens in space seems like the kind of thing that she would actually be interested in playing, and if we can figure out a time, cool. So, um, okay. So yeah, so I was much more interested in space. And it also, I think, like we were talking about before with the, the personal bleed, it allows for a lot more distance from that. Um, and so that's a, a fun space for me to play around and think about because when I role play, since I'm generally pretty happy with myself and who I am, I tend to play characters who are a lot like myself. Um, but thinking about 
going out into space opened it up for like something totally different for me. And so it just became a, a design space that I was really interested in and adapting the, the rules light system to let people tell stories, you know, way out in the cosmos just got really got my creative energy riled up. So, yeah. Yeah. I haven't checked this out yet, but is it similar in terms of how you create characters? Is that similar, that storytelling mechanism that's in place on kids on bikes? Does it just extend into teens in space? Yes. Uh, so the, there are crew creation questions. Um, and the, the powered character system, instead of a powered character, you share control of your ship, um, which you, when you're creating your character, you have 10 improvement points at the start of the game that you can spend on yourself or you can spend on the ship. And then anything you upgrade using your own improvement points becomes something on the ship that you control. So if I upgrade the, you know, the missiles on the ship, then I'm in charge of narrating what happens with the missiles. If you upgrade and make the holodeck, you're in charge of narrating what happens with the holodeck when people are, are using that. So um, it allows for that shared control again in what I think is a really, really fun way. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading um, one interesting thing um, that is both between both games. I saw someone asking um, in your uh, your releases of the Strange Adventures books why there aren't more um, standard adventures. They're all just you know ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. thought processes and I had to explain to them that that's kind of the point of the game though both of these games people create either the city they're in or the ship they're on um, and they create the world they're going to be playing in they give things they want to see in the game and things they don't want to see in the game they put out rumors Mm -hmm. that's, that might or might not be true and it's all just seeds for the game master to play with and for the other players to play with and it's really kind of a group improv fly by the seat of your pants story time. Yeah. But then yeah. A, ga a game master can easily come in with a story that they want to tell. Mm -hmm. But just like any author will tell you, when you start <laughs> writing, sometimes right. your story takes goes in directions you didn't expect. And you either try to force the story to follow your your end point or mm -hmm. you adapt and the best right. storytellers adapt yeah i will say this though we we definitely have heard that feedback um and we're i think i can say without getting in trouble uh we're we've taken into into account hmm well, I do want to address those people that are doing that because I think the, the value of this game, kind of similar in what Brian's saying, is that you are collaboratively developing a story. And we're so used to running through dungeons that are written by people for Dungeons & Dragons, 
you know, I have books on my shelves. The, these, this is the way the story goes, and these are the kind of points that you move along. And the GM's completely in control of that story based on what's in front of the book. And you know, you might improvise some around that, mm-hmm. but it's it's almost like it's it's jazz basically right so in jazz you might have a book in front of you and then you're gonna you're gonna move around that that book and maybe sometimes play the notes that are suggested and maybe sometimes play (laughs) notes that are tangentially related to it but now we're all doing it together we're one big cacophonous jazz band trying to find the groove and trying to find the internal story that's just waiting to be born out of this mess and that's the beauty of it. You know, I played Dream Chaser. We played Dream, Dream Chaser, uh, and uh, the, my, my sacred story that I was trying to tell got completely uh, molested. Just, that's not the right word. Got completely mangled by mangled. the other people in, in, in the process. So Brian had his own story, and this guy had his own story, and it was just... It was amazing to watch my story become something completely different based on everybody else's personalities, and I think that's the joy behind Kids on Bike is is you're you're getting together and you're creating something new. You don't have mm-hmm. to have. I mean, it's nice to have the hooks there. I, I really like the fact that you did Strange Adventures one and two because you give some hooks that you can kind of wor- operate from, but the tools are there for the whole group to create something that's not existed before. Yeah. It just it, the only limit is your imagination, and it, the only limit is the the way that the group is willing to conform and move around each other's imagination. That's that's really powerful for me because we're so used to taking a ride as opposed to driving the ship that being able to drive the ship a little bit or even argue who's going to take control, mm-hmm. that's fun, that's exciting. Yeah, and one of the things that since I do this. I guess unprofessionally is the right word. Um, I'm an unprofessional game designer. Um, Amateur. Sure. Garage. Uh, what's that? Garage. I'm a garage game oh, designer. Oh, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I like it. Sure. Um, I. This is what I do for fun. This is my hobby. And I'm lucky that it's a hobby that pays for itself. That was like my goal when I started. Um and so anything i'm designing is something that i'm thinking like i would really want to play this 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 is fun this is a design space that i want to be in um and yeah exactly that i don't want to as a player be railroaded um and so i think that a lot of that philosophy of how i play came into how we designed kids on bikes um, and teens in space, uh, and our next secret project that we're not using the name of yet. You're dropping hints here. Do you want to tell us about that secret project, or is it, uh, is it under wraps? You have no idea how badly I want to tell you about that secret project. <laughs> um, I want to make the name of that secret project my cover photo on Facebook, and <laughs> just like my Twitter bio be like, he, him, game designer blankety blank coming soon oh so it's two words we got we, we got a clue now it's <laughs> maybe it is maybe it's not is it dads and garages i want it to be dads and garages <laughs> uh, banana chan already locked in the dads on mowers thing if yep. you do anything with dads uh 
she has like proprietary ownership of the work. So oh, and fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she we've we've almost given her carte blanche with uh, anything she wants to do in, in kids on bikes. So uh, for free content Friday in 2020, she has three adventure prompts coming out. Excellent. That's exciting. Yeah. How would how would one become like how would one write an adventure prompt for kids on bikes? I I I don't want to invite. Well, I don't know how many listeners we have, but I don't want to invite a hundred different things to come to you. But if mm-hmm. somebody wanted to say, "Hey, I've got this great idea for kids on bikes," are you open to that, or is it like I've had enough of that? I don't want any more of that. Oh, one hundred percent open to it. Um, I don't know what <laughs> we would be publishing in like Strange Adventures volumes at this point. But there's definitely space for it with the free content Friday that Hunters does, um, which in 2020 will include uh, Kids on Bikes and Teens in Space and the next project together. Uh, includes Icarus, which is one of one of my favorite role-playing games. Um, and of course, uh, their Outbreak Undead stuff, which it did this year. So, um, that was the only thing that free content Friday focused on this year. But... Yeah, um, there's still space for that, so people can, uh, you know, feel free to at me on Twitter. Um, I would say, though, the one thing to make sure that they do is to check out what we already have in terms of adventure prompts, just to make sure that they're not saying, I have this really good idea where I want to do a thing set in, like, Koreatown, and it deals with the, the, like, monsters there, but also, like, the social (laughs) prejudice. Like, okay, cool. Cleo Yunsu Davis did that. It's All right, great, 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 great. <laughs> I want to do something in, in Chicago where, uh, you know, like a circus comes to town. Rob Davio got that one. Okay. <laughs> what about the, like, at the Jersey Shore? I, I wrote that one. <laughs> Thanks, though. Um, we're so, making yeah, this so movie say... called 1492. Uh, we're working on Christopher Columbus over here. Thank you. Right, yeah. Uh, and so I would say they should, you know, check out what's there already. Um, not even necessarily like buy uh, a copy of the book, although I'd be I'd be glad if they did. Um, but you know, find out from somebody who has it what's already in there, um, and yeah, just make sure it's not overlapping. And then it would just be a matter of where it would fit into a potential free content Friday, because of course, free content for uh released for backers isn't free for us to produce we still have to do uh graphic design um copy editing i still have to you know go through and do quality control and stuff like that on it so yeah uh, but yeah if they have something that they really like i mean the worst thing that happens is this is their foray into game design right where they um write up the adventure prompt and start to think of hooks that way and maybe it's something that they run with their friends maybe it's something that they just do as a design exercise um yeah okay excellent and and so i know you can't talk about the secret project but is there anything coming up you do want to talk about uh so many things um (laughs) that i want to talk about uh i so i have two kids on bikes adjacent projects that uh i would 
love, love, love to talk about. One, one is a, a role-playing game, and one is a card game that accompanies that role-playing game. Ooh. Um, you have my attention. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> uh, the... And I think that's everything I can say about it. Oh, but okay. <laughs> um, but hopefully coming out, uh, if all goes according to plan, we'll definitely be making those announcements. Um, I think the plan is to do that via free content Friday um, and then put the word out there a little bit more than we did with, uh, with Teens in Space. Um, I believe the plan is to have an Ashcan version of it available for um, for free RPG day in June, uh, but we'll definitely be talking about what it is before then. So, speaking as the collective audience, Doug Lewandowski, you're such a tease. I know, and I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> it, I. Like, I would rather talk about a project and then have it not happen than, like, not talk about a project, uh, period. Um, and but, you we know, your milkshake's going to bring all the boys to the yard if you put out such mystery that people are going to be like, oh, let's pay attention to Doug and see what he's doing next. I, you know, I like milkshakes, so let's do this. <laughs> that's the that's the goal. Um, <laughs> my yard's up in New Jersey. Hop on a plane. Uh, <laughs> well, the, we'll the be Trent, we'll be in the same yard in December, so it's okay. That's right. The Trenton Airport flies right into uh, right into Atlanta. Nice, easy trip. Um, came down to visit one of my friends a couple years ago. Actually, did a lot of writing for kids on bikes at her house um, one summer. Um, so yeah, so those two are coming out. I'm working on uh, quite a few other projects. Um, two of them that are a little bit further along are um, two role-playing games. One is a quiet year hack um, that we have oh. Avery's permission to do. Um, that was super, super great of them to let us do that. The uh, It's called Home. I'm working on that with Cleo Yunsu Davis, who did an adventure prompt for uh, Strange Adventures Volume 2, um, who also plays a bard who doesn't believe in magic on the uh, actual play Red Death podcast, IGM. Uh, and it is about surviving the night in a haunted house, um, where oh. you have the option to when we originally started designing it, it was you play yourself. Um, but there was way too much bleed for some people. Um, and so we added in options for, you can play a character who's like yourself, or you can play a character who is totally unlike yourself. Um, but over the course of the night, you're trying to fulfill certain psychological needs you have. Um, so that can get either really dark or really, 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 really dark. <laughs> um, and yeah uh you're trying to survive the night over it's a haunting of hill hell house uh uh rpg basically exactly um but more supernatural um one of the things i love about haunting of hill house is that the the horror is is us right um 
and the house a little bit, but not, it's not ghosts, right? I mean, the movie version is, is more like that, but uh, yeah, so it's a, and it's a GM-less card-driven um, RPG that has uh, some of the questions Cleo wrote. I just read like, oh God, oh, I hate that. That's, <laughs> that's the best one. That's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you move through phases of night. You have, uh, you arrive at the house at dusk. Um, and then, so there's the dusk phase that's mostly exploring the house, the midnight phase where things start to go wrong, uh, the false dawn phase where things go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, and then the dawn phase, which is the resolution where you find out based on, uh, if your needs are fulfilled based on, uh, how many wounds you have, because there's a wound tracker in the game. Um, find out whether or not you survive the night and then there's the sort of wrap up for question and answer at the end like uh, you know if anybody dies in the house the people alive have to explain to their loved ones what happened so how do you do that oh, oh that's that's terrible and awesome at the same time right yeah uh, so I'm really 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 excited about that um, the last like mini RPG Kickstarter I did with uh, Tim Devine for um, Agents of Deception. Near the end of that, I announced that Home was going to be the next one coming soon, and Cleo and I were like just about ready to launch it on on Kickstarter, and we're like, we really want to like not make people print the cards. And some of the art came in, and it was just so good that we're like, oh, this needs to be a card back, not just flavor. Oh man, oh. God, I'm not publishing another card game by myself. Oh, we're not doing that. Um, self-publishing is the way of the devil. No, um, self-publishing is my haunted house. But uh, so we're uh, trying to work on that a little bit more, polish it a little bit more to be not just like a you know $5 Kickstarter print and play, um, but to find it a proper home. Uh, so going to Metatopia this coming weekend and I'll be running a test of it there. Um, I wish I then, was going to be at Metatopia. Metatopia is great. Uh, I've heard. Yeah, it's... If you want to design games, it's it's the con to go to. Um, Unpub is cool for, like, this game is basically done. I want to mass market, rapid play test it. But Metatopia is where you take games where you're like, this is 90% done. And then you walk away from the weekend like, this is 9% done, but <laughs> I know what to do with it. Uh, so then the my next Kickstarter, uh, because I promised my wife after Agents of Deception that there would, on, there would be only one more Kickstarter in the year, so I'm going to use it, um, is we're, Banana Chan and I are working on an advent calendar journaling game um, where each day you get the the prompt for the day emailed to you um, and the title that we have right now is uh, the wishing sigil colon Krampus oh, that sounds good that sounds good yes yeah uh, it is definitely the darkest thing I've ever worked on um and banana came up with just this incredible mechanic for uh resolution and making decisions uh involving creating sigils um 
which, uh, yeah, she told me about it and I was like, oh my God, that's, you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the two big things. Um, and then I'm working on a trick taking game with John Dubois. Um, the game, uh, the kids on bikes adjacent card game that I'm working on with Luke Minch, um, which that's as much as I can say. Um, and I'm sure like three things I'm forgetting that as soon as we get done, I'll be like, oh no, if so-and-so hears this, they're going to be real upset. <laughs> well, we don't uh, want to upset anybody. We just uh, want to get our listeners and ourselves because we're, we're listeners also. We want to get everybody excited about what's coming up. And uh, I can tell you that home sounds fantastic. I can't yeah. wait to see that come down the pike. Uh, I'll be one of your first backers. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, depending on where it goes, it might be a Kickstarter. It might not. Um, okay. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. But, oh, yeah, I'm working on uh, with Dave Beaver, who did Yeah Diamonds um, for Game in a Curry, which is Banana's game company. Um, I am... Uh, so he did Yeah Diamonds with them. He and I are working on a tile placement game that uses nonverbal communication to decide where to place tiles um, and what cards to play. So one player controls the row and one player controls the column. And so we have to communicate nonverbally about where we're putting stuff. Uh, and then it's a sort of, you know, uh, varied scoring for different kinds of plants kind of thing. Um, and that's been a really, really neat design space to work in. That's something that I haven't done before i don't generally do board games i do card games or role playing games i was just going to ask whether or not you had done board games in the past yeah um i've done card games for sure um but depending on where you want to draw the distinction between card and board games uh if it's something that actually involves a board then the answer is no okay <laughs> uh but yeah i did um i've done three published card games at this point all of which are out of print. Um, oh, okay. I was going to say, can we hear about them? Can we get them? Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll gladly tell you about it. Uh, <laughs> the first one, uh, which made me realize that self-publishing is the way of the devil, um, was Gothic Doctor, uh, which I kickstarted with my friend John, who co-designed it with me uh, five, six years ago, a while ago. Okay. Um and it's about uh, healing patients out of Gothic literature. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a sort of uh, kind of like rummy-ish kind of game um, where you're trying to heal patients from the from the waiting room. Um, I designed Unpub, which came out from Greater Than Games, uh, which is a game about designing and pitching games on the spot. Uh, oh, J.R. Okay. Honeycutt. And I did that one. Um and then I did a card game called Fire. Uh, You're Fired um, with Jason Tagmeyer uh, for Button Shy. It was one of the few non-wallet games he put out. And uh, I think may have been the game that made him decide he was going to exclusively do wallet games. So I think I have that distinction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. So there you have it. Three games that you can't get from Doug Lewandowski. Exactly. Go out there and look for them. And uh, 
Well, I have a lot of copies on Pub. I'd be glad to sell you a copy on Pub. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're fired. You can get on Board Game Geek for twenty five dollars from someone selling it. And oh yeah, I'm I'm on top of it. What? <laughs> oh man. Uh, Brian, don't pay twenty five dollars for that game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, uh, let's do see. Gothic do Gothic Doctor is thirty uh, euros. What? Yeah, someone in Germany is selling the first edition for thirty euros. With like all the extra stuff from the Kickstarter, or just the first edition? Uh, let me see. Um, it says first Doug Lewandowski, edition. This is your life. I um, right. S, they have SN twenty nineteen pickup. Um, it's a little late for that. Yeah, it's a little late for that one. Um, yeah, it doesn't actually say. Well, fittingly, they had no takers, so um, <laughs> it's not a it's not a bad game. I don't want to I don't want to crap on the game. I'm re- I'm really proud of it. It it does what we wanted it to do pretty well. Um, but yeah, uh, what's the dollar to euro conversion at this point? Oh, that's a hell of a question. I don't know okay. if I can answer. <laughs> well, if it's if it's one to one, thirty dollars is probably a bit much but uh yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm proud of it i i love that game i still play it from time to time but uh but yeah that's funny <laughs> so Sorry. one okay. more thing i wanted to ask uh is you know so rolling for change is all about how games change us and how games have an impact on our trajectory in life Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories in your life about how a board game, role-playing game, video game, LARP has moved your life in a new direction or made any changes in your world? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is... Role-playing games when I was younger gave me the opportunity as like a pretty acne ridden um very undiagnosedly clinically depressed kid um with like manageable depression but like how manageable is any kind of depression right Right. um who like wanted to be so much more than i felt like i could actually be in real life like gave me the space to be that over Cheetos and Mountain Dew um, until like two in the morning. Um, And that, yeah, I mean, that was just such a a good experience for me to say like, like I can actually, in this game, I can help people. I can save the day. I can stop evil, Um, which you know, I, I think is so appealing and is a big part of why we're seeing an upsurge in role-playing games now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, that was absolutely huge for me. Um, and then when I started designing, um, John and I had been, like, poking around at, at the Gothic Doctor design and we're moving ahead with it as sort of like, uh, okay, cool. This is like an interesting thing to try. Um, and then my wife and I started really struggling, um, 
for about five years with infertility and having the design space um, was a great way for me to find release and relief and enjoyment in a, a really bad handful of years for me. Um, and like, you know, I mean, a Freudian analyst would have a field day with the fact that I got like pretty obsessed with creating games at a time when uh, it wasn't clear that we'd be able to create a family. Um, but hey, it worked, right? Um, so, so yeah, that was just an incredibly powerful and valuable experience. And joining the board game design community, um, which I put off for a while when we started working on the game because I had all these, you know, preconceived notions about who gamers were and, you know, how they were and um, how they would be and went to my first convention, um, which was Dexcon, uh, which is run by the same people who run Metatopia, but it's more of a traditional convention and was just like blown away by the people I met and how nice they were and how open and welcoming. Um, and was just like, wow, this is, this is a great community. Um, and so that was transformative in like pretty much all of the best ways. Um, so yeah, game design has been just such a, a wonderful part of my life for so long. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, oh, uh, of course. I appreciate yeah. those personal stories. Um, and I'm really glad that you were able to find some connection there in the midst of having some really bad disconnections. I, I, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, anything else that uh, you wanted to ask? Yeah, something I was going to ask earlier, um, something very small but kind of close to my heart. Um, sure. Have you ever heard the six episodes of the One Shot podcast that they did for Kids on Bikes? Yes. Oh, yes, I have. My God, that is the best <laughs> story. That's the best six episode story I've ever heard. It was, uh, yeah. So, I went to I I listened to some of it. Um, so at Metatopia last year, um, John mentioned, "Hey, they're, you know, they're doing this thing. You should check it out. It's really good." And I said, oh, "Okay, cool." said and, and Patrick Rothfuss is one of their players and I was like oh okay yeah okay cool great uh, I don't know who that is um, <laughs> and he was like he wrote uh, Shadow name of the wind. wind or Name of the Wind right and I was like alright I mean I don't know I don't know what that is but alright cool he's a he's an author people like that's that's good right um, he was like how have you not read Name of the Wind I was like I generally don't read fantasy i like like i i don't want to yuck anybody's yum so i'm not going to name uh name any series that like you know wonderful series amazing series that like everybody has to read and i read the first one and was like well i got through that um <laughs> but 
because I'm an English teacher and I tend to like like literature or GTFO, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, Ian Moss, who does a lot of work with John, was like, you have to read Name of the Wind. Like, you have to read it. I was like, all right, fine. Like, it's $10 mass market paperback. Great, I'll pick it up. Um, read it and was like, oh, holy crap. This is, uh, whew, uh, this is really good. Uh, yes, I'm going to go get Wise Man's Fear today. Um, uh, that next one's coming out real soon, right? Um, so that was last year. Um, and then, and then as I was starting to read Name of the Wind, listen to the, the series and then, yeah, uh, that was so incredibly soul affirming for me. Um, the, and yeah, just such a great story. And that, that went more serious than I usually expect kids on bikes to go. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, still one of the characters was named party sub. So, uh, Oh, party (laughs) sub was the best though. Party sub was great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a wonderful, 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 uh, wonderful series i just Um, it started off with them you know making these characters and then they started getting a little goofy but then they brought this heart to it i was just like that that Mm -hmm. is what i want in the game that is my ultimate you know bucket list goal is to have a bunch of players sitting around and all of them just creating these characters and suddenly finding this fascinating the story itself was was interesting it was a good hook Mm-hmm. But just like any good kids on bikes story, the best part of the story is the interaction of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Okay, so I'll have to get to that one. I'm still really enjoying uh, Bike Brigade, so uh, mm-hmm. I'll encourage everybody that direction uh, and and say <laughs> that that also has a, a similar deep heart to it, and I'm I'm really impressed with. The, yeah, that that's the, the next one I'm starting. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting that one to probably tomorrow. So what Kids on Bikes has really done for us is just given us a lot of podcasts to listen to. <laughs> right. And then when you're done with that, you can listen to my Red Death podcast. There we go. There we go. Well, Doug, so. it's been fantastic to have you on. I really appreciate that you came on to talk to us about Kids on Bikes. Um, I know that I've got a lot of uh, Kids on Bikes stories in my future. I have things I want to do. Uh, in terms of being a DM, and I, ha- I have uh, I have a group that I'm playing with online that are are really developing some really good stories, and then uh, th- I'm sure there's going to be home games also that are going to be pretty exciting. So thank you, and thank John for for creating such a a a perfect little RPG that I never expected to happen. Well, thank you, um, and thanks for thanks for giving it uh, a real chance. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out and uh, uh, just jostle you around? Sure. Uh, I am on Facebook as Doug Lewandowski, and I'm happy to be your friend as long as you're a sane human being and um, <laughs> have some sort of moral compass or at least don't post about stuff against that. And um, as long as our first interaction won't be you sending me a link to like your page. Happy to be your friend. Um, or uh, the Kids on Bikes community on Facebook. Uh, I'm, 
I try to be as active as I can be on there. Uh, or Twitter, I'm at Levzilla. And uh, I don't use Twitter nearly as much as Facebook, but, uh, but I do try to check that um, at least every couple days. So, yeah. Okay. And of course, people can get your your books, uh, your all these role playing games. They can get just about, well, they you can get it on Drive Through RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy it at uh, Amazon very easily, um, including the playing cards and the dice that don't match up, and <laughs> uh, and, and then of course uh, they can come and see you at uh, PAX Unplugged in right. December. Yeah. There, um, all the stuff is also available at uh, on the Renegade website. Yeah. Um, okay. And Renegade uh, treats their employees super duper well. So, uh, in terms of buying stuff online, I would recommend them. Excellent. And um, and uh, like you said, I just downloaded the first episode of The Red Death, uh, season one, The Boston Ripper, part one, and he's the game master. <laughs> so, you. holy crap! I can't wait to listen to that one now. It takes, I'll be honest, uh, it takes us a little bit to get going. By the second arc, I think we really hit our stride. Um, uh, and the second arc uh, features uh, white supremacists getting punched. So if you're into that, second arc is, is definitely your thing. Excellent. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> again, you have my attention. You know, season two is always the better of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of most things, so... Next gen well, didn't really hit its stride till season two. True, uh, Buffy took off in season two pretty well, and even Stranger Things had a, a much deeper story in season two mm-hmm. than in season one. So, yeah, and we're recording season three right now, and uh, I am super, super, super happy with where we're going with it. So, excellent. Yeah. All right, and we have an end in mind, so it's not going to go on forever we have uh i don't know if we've announced how many arcs it's going to be but we have a we have a finite number planned so okay yeah so check out all of those things uh and uh pay tribute to to doug and john um once again thanks so much for stopping by and uh for everybody else out there you know what to do keep on rolling rolling for for change change. Uh aha it in was stereo, almost in stereo, yeah, yeah, just yeah. a little bit different. Yeah, just a little bit off. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you'd like to join our discussions, contribute to our shows, or just chat with us about all of the gamey things, you can find us at geektherapy forward slash discord. Tweet us at Roll for Change, send email to gamers at rollingforchange.com, or join the discussion at forums.geektherapy.com. Also, if you enjoy this spiffy keyboard sound bed, it comes from rocket scientists, purveyors of fine progressive prestidigitation. Find this and many other great songs and albums at bandcamp.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and keep on rolling for change. Rolling for change.